0: hey what's up guys welcome back to the dental marketer podcast i'm your host michael adias and don't forget guys we have our new brand new it's like the ultimate marketing book out there right now it's it's amazing it's called Ten Thousand patients tested and proven methods and systems to get you new patients this week guys and this is humongous book just go in the show notes below click on the first link in the show notes below it's a free book but it's failed with strategies, methods. These are all proven methods and systems. Not just me that came up with, but a lot of the guests in my uh, on our Monday morning marketing series have put their time and effort in this book to just share with you guys the meat and potatoes. So if you want to go in the show notes below, click it. You can watch a super quick video of everything that's inside the book. I literally just screen share you, me showing you inside of the book and Everything you learn from how to do Google ads or like the proper Google ad strategy, social media marketing, ground marketing, content marketing, video. We even talk about insurance and so much more. So go check that book out. It's going to be the first link in the show notes below. And also, I'm so excited to introduce this guest to you guys. His name is Michael Dincio. Sweat
1: over $15 misses. Mm. I want you literally to sweat over the smallest miss. And... Doing huddles, frankly, help you help you keep an eye out for opportunity. Um, it's not reading the schedule. It's the team, getting the team to realize the importance of the $15 increments. Gotcha, you, got you. I mean, this is a business of widgets. Like as a banker, I didn't see that. I just saw million-dollar practice, supplies six percent, rent seven percent, labs five percent, six percent. Um, profitability 35 to 45 percent like those are really big like things Hmm. but when I got into practice management I realized like the tighter the tighter things are scheduling systems just um, maximizing every opportunity that's the difference between someone that's really successful and someone that's just kind of making it
0: He is the founder or one of the owners of Next Level Consultants. But in this episode, we talk about uh, a little bit about his past as present, right? Uh, He used to be an ex-banker at Bank of America, and he talks to us about the loan process and everything that normally you would have to go through to get a loan for Bank of America to start up your own practice or to do an acquisition and things like that, but Not only do we talk about that, we dive much, much deeper on startups versus acquisitions. And this is such a great episode, especially, especially if you're thinking like, should I do a startup or should I do an acquisition? This is it. Listen to this episode first before you make a decision. Uh, We talk about the struggles, right? Uh, The options that you have, the characteristics. This is what I love as well about this episode is he really breaks down to your personality. He breaks it down to where it's like, Hey, are you this type of person? Then you're not going to do well as a startup. You are this type of person. You do have these characteristics. Then trust me, you're going to do well as a startup, not as an acquisition or what characteristics do you need to have in order to, uh, do well as an acquisition instead of a startup and so much more. Right? He also talks to us about, Hey, you might have that itch to do a startup or an acquisition, But it might be best for you just to stay where you're at right? as an associate, clocking in, clocking out. Nothing wrong with that. Right. And then at the same time, just going home to your family and then going to dinner or watching a movie. And that's it. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with that. Ownership is not for everybody, guys. And so that's something we want you guys to understand. Um, But this is a very wonderful episode to help you guys understand that. And we dive deeper in the pros and cons for acquisitions. We talk about the pros and cons for a startup too, but mainly we start diving deeper into acquisitions, how there's specific pros and then there's specific cons for that, and why we also discuss why so many acquisitions, sometimes when the seller's trying to sell their practice, they kind of tend to not, not tell the truth all the time. They bend the numbers a little bit, right? So we discuss the reasoning behind that Um, And we also discuss the default rates between acquisitions and startups and the differences and things like that. We also, Michael also lets us know some practice management tips as well. And then we also talk about systems. Some of the biggest small changes a practice can make today to see improvement during the week, Michael lets us know exactly what systems we need to be implementing. So guys, without further delay, here is Michael Densio. Michael, how's it
1: going? What's up, Michael? This is a Michael and Michael show today. I, know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think last time I told you, I was like, it's weird saying your own name, right? Like, hey yeah. Michael, Michael, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, do you go by Mike? Let's go Mike today. Cause then I could say Michael and you could say Mike. It's perfect. Okay.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Mike Mike is Mike is pretty easy. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about your past, your present. how did you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah. No, that's 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 a uh, that's a complicated answer. I don't <laughs> know. I bet I bet you it is for all your interviewers, but you know, if I, if I condensed it down, ex-banker fell in love with the consulting process as a banker, got into consulting, founded Next Level Consultants, and uh, we help doctors get into ownership and thrive after. Uh, I've been doing this for about a little over a decade. I think I have at least 400 transactions and startups under my belt, and um, we're a full-service consulting firm now that not only helps get into ownership, but also support after. So yeah, just, um, love being in the, in the industry and, um, giving back as much as we can.
0: I like that, man. So you were an ex bank. How long were you a banker
1: for? Six years, six long years, but it was good. It was good. If you don't
0: mind me asking, could I ask like, what was the bank you were banking at? Yes, bank of
1: America. It was Bank of America. <laughs> uh, no, no, they, they were great. I, I can't, I like, without that background, I would not be where I'm at today. I met So many people in the industry. I got to touch so many deals and interview thousands of dentists. Looked at hundreds of tax returns, and you know, just really, it really gave me the view of dentistry. But it wasn't until I got into consulting that I that I felt like I really know dentistry at the ground level. Um, I'll use your word, ground. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Hashtag ground. You know, as a banker, you stay pretty high level, and I thought I knew everything about dentistry. And and then I got into it as a consultant. I'm like, oh my god, I didn't know anything about dentistry. So the the two worlds collided: uh, consulting and banking, numbers focused, and very high level strategy, business, like kind of high level. And then now as a consultant, like we're in the business of making changes on a small increment, you know, in, in small ways, but added up can make major major changes and and have a huge impact on dental practices. So anyways, it's kind of cool that those two worlds collided for me.
0: Yeah. So you work specifically as a banker for like providing loans for dentists or no, just like yeah. practice. Oh, okay.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Bank of America and and others have divisions that are specialized in dental. Mm-hmm. And, um, and frankly, anybody that's not working with a dental special, a department within these big banks that focus on dental, you're probably not serving yourself as well as you could. And so they do have those specialties in those divisions. And um, literally, I remember the training course at B of A and we were learning endo and perio and pedo. And if your bank doesn't know the difference between ortho and GP uh, and, you know, or an endo versus a perio, you know, you need to move on to someone else. So yeah, you'd be surprised. Wow,
0: man. So then what were some things where it was like, now we're not going to give you this, loan to compare it to like, yeah, we will. Yeah, this is a slam dunk, easy, you know?
1: Yeah, so gosh, I mean, I run, I run into this in my business now as a buyer's rep or startup is I would say experience, uh, production, the production history, uh, the cash on hand. Oddly enough, character, the character of the borrower comes up yeah uh, quite a bit. Credit, of course, I'm seeing a lot of C words. We used to call it the, the five Cs. Character, credit. Cash? I don't know. I forget all the five C's, but a <laughs> lot of C's in there. <laughs> gotcha.
0: Is there like a specific uh I mean, have terms changed since back then to, to now to now? Like if we were like, oh, Bank of America, like is there a specific cash that they look in for, for What's the credit limit that oh my gosh, it's too low at, just because of a couple points?
1: Yeah. Um I would say the structure of the actual deals haven't changed much, like like the payment schedule and how the money's been being dispersed, like for startups, like the graduated payments, yeah, little nuances. But for the most part, the amount of money lent for a startup has gone up in the last decade. For the most part, for acquisitions, it's, it's pretty the same. I mean, I think it's interesting because Bank of America is the largest lender in the country, and at least it was. Mm-hmm. And some people have left and started other groups, and it's always got that B of A influence a little bit. Yeah. so, ironically, the underwriting, anybody that understands dental has kind of that same structure as far as underwriting goes. But yeah, not much change, to be honest with you.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That's good. So then I know you kind of alluded to it right now. You said acquisitions and I know next level consultants, you guys kind of help out with a lot of parts in the practice, right? But what would you say your, was Mike's area of expertise?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Today, I would consider us a full service consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Um, got all kinds of areas where we could help, but my focus inside our firm is is really helping doctors get into ownership. Kind of talked, to, alluded to that. I do uh, a lot of startups and a lot of acquisition representations so buyer representation. So young docs, sometimes not young, but docs looking to get into ownership the right way, um, taking the right processes through that, uh, whether it's buying or starting, I can help them do both, but that's my specialty. I, I obviously love the, the, the business part of dentistry. Um, I've got an MBA and I just really love the strategy and the the different nuances of each, each dental business. You've got Medicaid, you've got super high end, like, um, bougie, you know, high touch dental practices and everything in between. And so I, I love, I think both uh, are great. So I love, I fell in love with the business dentistry and that's my kind of piece of the firm. We've got other coaches that focus on clinical and front office, but my side is getting docs into ownership and then making sure they, they're great business owners after, after they got the keys.
0: Yeah. I'm going to kind of ask you a uh, total curveball question here, like that. I just, while you were talking, it made me think of it because one of the practices I used to work at, they were, and like, a, I wouldn't say it was like a, like a Beverly Hills type of lo, uh, location, like demographics. It was more like a not Beverly Hills. Right. So, but they wanted to be boutique. They're like, I want to be the the cream of the crop, like the best where I just want the best patients. But it was like nonstop Medicaid, like all the time, Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare, Medicaid, right. And as soon as they started accepting it, like it was forget it. It was like 80% of the practice or I don't know. I just do that number out, but it was like a huge number of percent of the practice. Could it ever change to like, okay, now, you know what? I want to be boutique, but it's like, hey, your environment and your community is not, no, it can't. Or could it, could it happen?
1: Yeah. So when I'm working with a startup, I think this is going to sound super cliche. So I hope it doesn't, but it's so, it's so true. Vision. If you don't have an idea of what you're doing and what you want to do, all the wheels fall off the train. But, to what you're saying, like if someone's vision is X and the, the market demands something differently, the preparation before you go into a startup, for example, it, you have to do your, your research. You have to know what an area is looking for. And that's why we do demographic reports and we do business plans and we try to do as much prep work as possible before we start that startup journey. Because if you're just kind of like, forcing a vision onto some area that's not going to really accept it, you're going to have a hard time. I actually had someone do the opposite. They went all Medicaid or took all PPOs, all Medicaid, super busy, not profitable, almost defaulted. It wasn't a next level client, but it was a B of A client back in the day. And then he decided after COVID, he was just going to go all fee for service, implants, all on fours, just all cosmetic stuff. And he turned it around, so yeah I just I, I think I think the more preparation that goes into going into ownership, whether it's a start up or acquisition, know what you're looking to buy, know what the demographics are of the marketplace, know all of that because um, look where you know it's it's not you can't just put up a sign anymore that says dentist and be successful you you actually have to be good at business, and if you don't like business or if you act like none of these other factors matter, you're going to get stung really, really quickly. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. So then it can't, it can, you can kind of change it depending on the demographic or you can't.
1: Yeah, I think you can. Um, it's going to be a hard, hard lesson. (laughs) It's going to be super stressful. Yeah. I guess the point though is you shouldn't have to, if you've done your homework and you've done your prep work and you do your demographic reports, but But yeah, I mean, I think businesses have to adapt every single day. I have to adapt, like, how I do what I do. And Michael, you you have to adapt, I'm sure, every day what you have to do. And so Mm -hmm. part of being a great business person is realizing what's happening, tracking what you're doing, seeing what's successful and adapting. So, and you, absolutely. People get off of insurances all the time. I always say, I said it today, this morning, when I was talking to someone that was thinking about doing Startup. It says, "Well, who's who's more profitable, Walmart or Nordstrom?" And to me, it's an obvious answer. To you, it might be too. But some of my prospects have a hard time with that. And mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, Walmart's top five, sometimes one, you know, of profitability. They're up there with Exxon Mobil and it's a big, big, big company. And then Nordstrom's probably—I don't know this—but probably in the hundreds. Number number hundred on the Fortune 500 does it mean Nordstrom's wrong, or does it mean the The Walmart's right. It just means it's a bit different business. And you just got to know what business you're trying to do and who your target market is, and you have to adapt. So I I think that all, that all matters as you're going into business for sure.
0: Yeah. I like that. Okay. Because I I mentioned that because I I feel like, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot. I mean, just with our businesses, anybody's business, like vision can change. You know what I mean? Like as we get older, we're like, oh my gosh, I, I thought I wanted this, but. So in that case, is it like, should we look to open up another practice once the vision changes? Like we we have this one going already. Great. It's going to be too much work to drop everything, fee-for-service and everything. Let's just start up another practice and look for an acquisition or startup, you know?
1: I love that question because I can tie it back to my podcast. It's called Startup Uncensored. My first episode called, it's like episode one, vision. And we interviewed Dr. Joanna Valentine. And your question is perfect because she bought a practice, her very first practice, and it was a solid practice. It made great money, very busy, collected all fees, classic bread and butter practice. But when they hired me, they wanted to do a startup downtown Seattle. This practice that she had bought was kind of north, north end, different blue blue collar area. Mm -hmm. And they totally had a vision change. And it was their cash cow that they had bought, but the practice was run down, equipment's run down, whatever. They have this vision for downtown Seattle of all Sirona and it's all white and beautiful and it's going to be multi-specialists. And yeah. um, they really executed that new vision and they're, they're killing it in, in Seattle. And so it reminds me, that's why we had that vision episode because they had a vision switch And um, absolutely. Can you do that? I think, I think so. Um, Over the years, I, I had a a bunch of clients say, Hey, you know, we're going to have our Medicaid practice over here, but we're going to have our other practice over there. And Mm -hmm. dentistry takes all forms. Patients need help. The good business owners understand that business of Medicaid and that type of dentistry, you have to do it this way and you have to do, you know, the, the boutique practice this way, but Different models, right? If you did the accelerated hygiene on a boutique practice, that might not work. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. That's true. So, so it just depends on like the, yeah, that's good because I feel like, yeah, a lot of the times, you know, people change, things can change. We, we kind of get confused if it's like, should we start up something new? Should we just find something, you know what I mean? Or, or try and re-compartmentalize our own practice. And I think that's, a, I don't know, I think you could recompartmentalize it, but it's up to, you, you know what I mean? Everybody's yeah. different.
1: Business is business. Sell it, make some money, keep it, keep the cash flow going. It just all has to make sense. And it's um I think the big thing with doctors is they they grind every day. What I realized as a consultant is in a dental practice, you all live in fifteen minute increments. Like mm-hmm. if you don't check somebody in like on the on the hour, it could set you back behind on the next one. Or you have to rush the cleaning the last thirty, you know. Few minutes just to whatever, right? It's just very granular, and you guys get lost in that, and I would too. Like you walk in, and it's bam, it's like system, system, systems, fifteen-minute increments, boom, 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 right? Hundreds of patients, what, maybe uh, in a day, sometimes in these really quick, big, big businesses. But if you don't back up and look at what you're doing and track things that you're trying to accomplish and look back at your vision, make the tweaks that you need to meet. You know what I mean? Like you can quickly wake up and hate what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So absolutely can you change? You just have to be intentional about what you're doing and um, not get stuck in the weeds. Everybody has to work on their business just as much as they work in their business.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know, 100%. I feel like, um, I think that it changes because I mean, maybe you've experienced this too. Like we kind of start slow with fear. You know what I mean? Like we're like, okay, we should just how many ops do you want? Oh, let's just kind of get like, you know, three plumbed and then, you know, separate two. We want that big off, you know what I mean? And then lo and behold, like in a year, you're like, oh my gosh, we're bursting out of this. You know what I mean? We need to open up a new location because of this. Should that always be kept in mind? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure you have also seen those practices where like, it's year five and we are struggling. Like we, what is happening here, you know? And so then good thing they didn't, You know what I mean? Get like a 10-op type of practice that was down the road or whatever, right? How do we make better decisions at the beginning process with this?
1: I love that question because I find that the second scenario is the more common one. (laughs) Everybody has hopes and dreams to have multi-practice, multi-specialty, grandiose. I'm going to combat DSO head-to-head. Let's go. Everybody does. The reality is... It's, it is baby steps. And, and I would, Michael, wouldn't you rather have first world problems versus third world problems? Oh yeah. That yeah. yeah. First world problems is I am so dang busy and I'm making so much money. What do I do with it? Yeah. Versus I'm busy, but I'm not making any money. Why? Higher overhead, too many uh, employees mixed up vision, not sure if they should drop insurance, too many insurances. I mean, ah, I'm not managing this right, right? And so I say baby steps, but I would say most of my, my docs talk to me about, well, I don't want to max out. And I would challenge you to, sure, I hope that's a, I hope that's a problem. But, you know, as a practice consultant and a startup coach, by a rep coach, Lean and mean is okay. Working three days and crushing your days actually works out better than opening up five days and having holes throughout your schedule. You know, you've got higher wages. And so I think for the most part, people get really wrapped up into, let's just go at it and just assume that they're going to get tons of new patients and that's your department. But if you had 25 new patients a month and you only worked three days a week, and your team's only coming in three, three and a half, four days a week, you're going to be pretty profitable, assuming that your rent isn't so out of control too. The bigger the space, the more rent. So I'm not saying do too small. I'm not saying do a three-op practice as a startup. But I'm also not saying let's go eight ops right out of the gate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, gotcha. So I think that's
0: where like it's really essential to, I mean, there's many, many ways, but like there's, that's where it's essential, I think, to like, Look for someone who knows more, you know what I mean? Like a consultant, like what you guys do, or find it somewhere, a friend, a mentor, something, right? To kind of guide you through that process. Let me ask you something. Do you guys work with more acquisitions or startups? People who like want to do it from the ground up?
1: It's cyclical. Like, I'm looking at my board here, 2020, which I know, pandemic. We worked with more acquisitions. Mm-hmm. I think there was that pent-up energy. And then I think a lot of people put their practices up for sale because they were just sick of <laughs> Being in the space, yeah. uh, More acquisitions that year. Uh, This year is trending way more startups. I think it's because of the lack of inventory out there right now, and so people are just sick of waiting for that unicorn practice. Hell, it's not even unicorn practice anymore. It's just you know a decent practice, and so they they decide to take their destiny into their hands. I always say you know pick a date. Like I know that you would prefer an acquisition, but pick a date by By what date are you going to take things into your own hands, or are you just going to wait years and years and years to find that perfect practice to buy? And so, just but that could be aggravating too. So pick a date: three months, four months, six months. And if you can't find anything inside that six month, make a commitment to yourself to get into ownership by you know the the next year or something like that. I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, Mm. right in this moment, more startups for sure.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, I remember speaking with. I believe it was Brian Hanks, but maybe one of the listeners, if you guys can correct me if I'm wrong or anything like that. But in that episode, um, he kind of mentioned, like, if you can't find an acquisition, that means you're not looking hard enough or you didn't take as much time. But then I speak with a lot of people who did a startup and they're like, I couldn't find the practice that I wanted to for the terms that I wanted. And I looked and looked. And some people look for years. Some people, you know, they're like, okay, I look for like two months, right? And then they decided to do their own startup. So, I guess, what would be a good reason to do a startup and what would be a bad reason to do a, to do a startup versus an acquisition?
1: Great question. I think Brian's right, by the way. Brian knows his stuff. Respect him as a, a competitor of the market. I think most people don't put the time in that they need to to find a practice. He's right. But it is still hard. I mean, l- letter dropping and networking with the C players, quote unquote, in your marketplace, not the A players. Like everybody knows the A players. but networking with the C players could find a practice, going to societies, going, going, ground, going ground marketing on that effort, right? Yeah. Is, a gr- is a great way of, of finding a practice. But, but even still, finding the right practice that fits you, every practitioner needs to really look at the fit in an acquisition. I'm not blowing anybody's mind by saying that, but like go next level—no pun intended—on that process. I'm not saying be so finicky on the practice that you you pass up on all of them, but the fit does matter. And there are naturally born entrepreneurs that should do a startup. I'm convinced of it. I, I help both. <laughs> I don't have a bias for either. There are folks that are built for a startup and will do better as a startup and. And there are folks that are one hundred percent not built for a startup and should buy. So yeah, I I, I think you need to really check yourself, and and you got to look at your financial situation personally, your support, your support at home. You got to look at um, your ability to do dentistry. You got to look at that because um, everybody's different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to look at your market. All of these things should help you find the right path. But I will go on record to say that I would rather you buy than start in the perfect scenario. No such thing as perfect, Mm -hmm. but I would rather you buy. My second option would be obviously a startup, but there's a third option that people don't talk about. And that third option is buying a practice that's not making it. I would like buying a startup practice, (laughs) if that makes sense. The underperforming practices. Why on earth would you buy somebody else's headache? You know, why is it not working? Mm-hmm. If you're going to buy that practice you're not getting cash flow. So why not do a startup? Because you're going to get a better lease, you're going to be able to pick your team. You're going to be able to start marketing the patients that you want to attract. When you're buying a a, a very small practice, it could work sometimes and I've helped people do it. But I'm just saying if I had a priority of preference, it would be uh, buying a practice that makes at least 2, you know, 250. Next would be startup and then the last would be buying that flipper that a lot of people go after just because of that price tag. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I think we would talk for hours about the pros and cons of an acquisition for a startup. And I'm convinced that they're the same amount of stress. It's just a different type of stress. An acquisition stress is maintaining and making sure that that practice does not fall if anything grows, right? Startup is um, getting cash flow. But there's a lot of benefits to startups too. So it's kind of a slower start. It's less stressful, but you're sitting there worrying about when your next patient's going to walk through the door. So it's just totally different stressors.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk about that, about for the pros and cons for acquisition. But really quick, I want to know, you mentioned some people are naturally born entrepreneurs who will do a startup, who will be fantastic. What are the characteristics of that? Like How, how can you tell, Like oh, this person is going to be fantastic and then this person's going to suck? How can we tell?
1: Someone that can talk to people, if I could break it down super simple, if you can hold a conversation with somebody and and influence them, the influencers in the room, you know who you are those those folks will naturally get people's attention when whether it's somebody in the chair, whether it's you selling them, and you talk about this a lot, michael is. You try to get them into your practice, Lyft driver from the airport. Hey, you should come into my practice. Like someone that's not afraid of that. Mm -hmm. That person, their startup will be as good as any acquisition that I could think of in two years because they just have that natural, let's just say the gift of the gap. Mm -hmm. Well, the gift of the bag could be a bad thing, but I'm saying someone that could actually influence. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Also somebody that's not afraid of numbers that is interested in business, they might not know all the metrics and all the things, the KPIs and whatnot, but someone that's interested in looking at money and managing money and, and uh, is a saver, not a spender. Like I would say those, those, those types of characteristics um, are great for startups. Also someone that can make decisive decisions easy. Like they're not just going to stew on things way too long and, opportunities pass them by. I'm not saying someone that's quick action, it's going to be crazy. Uh, but, but you know who you are folks. Like if you're just getting really lost in the weeds on every single decision made, I had someone ask me the other day, Hey, uh, you know, should, should I give this person a $1 raise? And that's part of my job for sure. I'm a consultant, but that doesn't change anything in your grand scheme of things. If they deserve it, they deserve it. Great. It's more about what you're going to get back for that $1, right? I don't want to get lost in practice management tips, but my point is, is if you're getting stuck on that decision for too long, you're going to struggle on a startup because it's a lot of decisions.
0: I like that. I like that, um, especially the gift of, what you said, the gift of gab or like being able to talk to people like, man, I can't tell you how much, and I me, like I teach about ground marketing. and I I know like, I don't really believe in like, oh, I'm an introvert, extrovert, things like that. I mean, like sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not, right? So I can be anything, but like, I'm more of the introvert type of person. I'm more of like, I don't really want to go on and talk to people, but you got to turn it on, man. Like it's your business, it's your job. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. So you have to know when to turn it on. But at the same time, I also like what you said about uh, numbers and, and not being boggled down too little in the, in the details of things that can hold you back. Imagine spending forever be like, I just can't get the right design for my logo. I don't know. It's been yeah, seven it's- months, you know, it's, what is that really going to
1: do? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, a hundred percent. I, um, it's, it's a mentality too. Like I will not fail. Mm-hmm. Whatever you put in front of me, I, I got this. That's a startup. Mm-hmm. It's, I've, I've gone through thousands of interviews at Starbucks. Yeah. Um, With doctors looking to get into ownership, whether B of A or today as a as a consultant. And um, you either got it or you don't. And I'm not saying it doesn't have to be extreme like that. It's just and by the way, those people could be great acquisition people as well, for sure. It's just I, I don't know if it goes the other way. The person that is definitely an acquisition person maybe should never do a startup. Does that make sense? Like yeah. the, that person that we just described for a startup, they could go over to an acquisition and crush. No problem. Are you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But that person that like couldn't do a startup should definitely do an acquisition or don't get into ownership. They should yeah. just stay as so, a Do you know what I'm saying? So then what are the
0: characteristics or traits that you've seen for an acquisition? Because I've talked to doctors, Mike, where they're like, I, I, I can't be, I got to be my own boss. I got to be my own boss. But then I've talked to some who are like, oh, I just want to go back to getting that paycheck. And then that's it. I just want to go home, clock out and be like, hey, kids, hey, everybody, let's go out. Let's go out for dinner, right? And stuff like that. And I have to worry about it. And then obviously we both talk to people who are like, I live and breathe this. This is all I want to do is numbers in. And so we're like, okay. But Mm -hmm. to you, what are the characteristics of someone who is perfect for an acquisition?
1: Yeah. So someone that's a team player maybe doesn't want to come up with everything, but is good with a plug and play, can lead by example, someone that even has experience, maybe even more experience uh, as an associate. Because when you take on a business, the more experience you have as an associate helps you. Because you're taking over somebody else's business and you need to identify if something's working or not. And if it's not working, you need to have the experience to say, no, 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 that's not working team. We're doing it this way. But if you don't have that experience, the team will run all over you. They don't want to change. They've been doing this for years. And so I've, I see that a lot is folks that aren't ready for ownership and they get ran over by their team and they're afraid of losing them. They're afraid of making changes. And so they just kind of do they just kind of go with it. Oh, I'll be your dentist. I know I own it and I know I pay you. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, can we maybe do an hour and a half for a new patient I mean, instead of two hours, please, maybe kind of sort of. What do you think? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Vers- versus, hey, you guys do two hours. I want to change it up. Here's why. I think it works better. This is what it looks like. What questions do you have? Let's try it. Mm <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I and, like that. And they have that experience to say that that works. Yeah, I like you that. You know, as a, as a startup, you got 20 new patients in your first month, you could take three-hour exams if you want. Do you see what I mean? Like, it's it's a different stressor.
0: Yeah, no, I, 100%. I, I feel like this is almost like one of those, like, personality tests where it's like, what's your personality <laughs> type, acquisition or, or startup? Uh, but I like it. So then... Talk to, let's dive into the acquisition side of everything. What are like the pros and cons for acquisitions? What, and I'll start it off by like saying what I hear a lot of is, oh my gosh, the team, like I'm going to lose half the team. Like, let's just say, for example, like I got an acquisition. The office manager has been here for 50 years. She's like, oh, Michael, I got it. What you're saying is cute. You think it works in theory, but it's not going to work here. Don't worry about it. She's technically, you know what I mean? So you're like, I have to deal with that. Some people are leaving.
1: So what are the pros and cons? You just described a con in my opinion, but it could also Mm -hmm. be considered as a a pro because again, someone that wants to plug and play, they're happy to give it to office manager of 50 years. I just want to do dentistry and make a little bit more than I did as an associate. So, Mm -hmm. okay. So the pros of an acquisition, the top three, if I'm shooting from the hip here, uh, cash flow is the first one. Cash flow is the second one. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And the third one r- really is systems and teams already set up. Okay. Plug and play mentality again. I mean, sure, you want to make some changes here and there, but really it's about winning the patients over clinically and winning the team over clinically. Um, and that's really your job the first six months, 12 months of, your, of, of an acquisition. So cash flow, cash flow having a uh, structure and team is definitely the the pros of an acquisition um, the cons <laughs> it, it things you can't change things i mean you can but you got to do it in bite-sized pieces and it's got to be methodical and you got to get their buy in uh, we've specialized in acquisition for a while now where we we get retained post post ownership so we've been personally, like as coaches, we've been literally thrown into the fire of like some changes that the owners want to make and the team is really pushing back. So not an easy thing to do. Um, and usually the team wins over the consultant, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so you got to be a patient. Piece. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, Hey, you know, one and a half, I would just keep saying the same scenario, one and a half uh, hours for new patient. No, we do two hours. Consultant's like, yeah. The other 50 other clients we have do one and a half. So, uh, and here's how that could work. And what do you guys think? And, you know, consultants tend to, some consultants come in and just blunt instruments, but good consultants, in my opinion, get the team's buy-in and you almost want them to come up with their own ideas about it. (laughs) Hey, if we were going to do an hour and a half, what would that look like? And what are the challenges? And let's work through this as a team. Cause, yeah, Because once they embrace it, then they're going to embrace it versus a consultant coming in and telling you what to do. But I'm getting sidetracked. So, so change, change. Mm-hmm. Change is the, the hard part of an acquisition. You also have, you're, you're also uh, getting a lease that you didn't get to pick. Area, you didn't really get to pick. Sometimes the equipment technology is not as great. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you're inheriting patient, the patient pool that you didn't really Think you are going to get. Mm. Um, right. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the downside. Startups, uh, the pros of startups are simple. It's, it's your creation. Literally, what's your vision? Let's create it. Um, what kind of team members do you want? Let's handpick them. And I, you know, we're in a weird time where we have a shortage of team, but I don't have, a, most of my startups don't have a hard time finding people, that, hygienists for sure. Yeah. A startup doesn't really need a hygienist. You shouldn't really do a hygienist day one. So you can find front office people. You can find dental assistants. You can train dental assistants. So you get to really pick your team. You get to pick the location. You negotiate a phenomenal lease. You get to, you get to control your own destiny. Brand new equipment. All great technology. Um, uh, you get to solicit the patients you want. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, because... Michael, you come into my practice and make a great impression on you. You're going to go tell your friends who are very much like you, because they're your friends. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden you're getting the same people as your patients. Acquisitions, you just better put, put a smile on and win everybody over, whether you like them or not. Yeah. Da- downsides to startup, cash flow and cash flow, number one and two, the downsides, right? And I guess it's cash flow. The three yeah. <laughs> cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. But the crazy thing about startups is the, you know, banks always talk about default rates, right? And, and I was just telling someone this this morning that would you be, would you be surprised that the success rate of an acquisition and a startup are pretty much the same? They're within 1%. Now that's surprising to me. Um, now I I can dig into that a little bit more. So that's like the, the headliner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Acquisitions and startups, they're the same. Well, Um, They're not, you know, per the banks, give or take a percent off, okay? So like if you're 99% successful in acquisitions, okay, so you're 98% successful in startups. I mean, come on, we're talking about less than a percent difference in in default rates. So that's the headliner. That's what you guys should all know. The risks to me are the same. But if I was going to dig into that a little bit more... You know, default rates versus success are two different things. You could be making your bills and dying, or you could be making good money. So success and default rates aren't really the same, I know. But just in general, if we're talking about default rates, it's really less than 1% difference. So,
0: Wow. Okay. That's different. I I didn't know that. I didn't know it was like that close to each other. And, But yeah, I do. I have heard. I mean, obviously, as, as we're talking, we do hear... A little bit more cons from acquisitions, I want to say, right? Like mm-hmm. as far as um, you can't th- change things fast, your lease in your area, you can't change, you didn't pick the equipment, your patient pool, you didn't, and like you can lose a lot more, right? In the sense of, um, or actually you can lose both in the same, but like you can lose like, oh man, the patients can hate you, right? They're like, oh, I, I, I didn't want to switch to a doctor. I'm just going to go to my cousin's doctor, right? Or whatever. And then the team can be like, oh, gonna leave here soon you want to go to this right and then the whole team can leave you right uh with an acquisition but you do have that cash flow like you said um i've also heard this mike and maybe you you've witnessed this is i'm going into an acquisition i like the numbers there's some things that don't like i can live with i get in and i feel like i've been duped like the numbers don't add up what were they thinking was my financial advisor insanely wrong like i don't really have as many patients as they said they did in the terminal or in the terms right in the agreement what
1: happened there well that's a loaded question dude <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so loaded but i guess what i would say if we're talking about just money and what the expectation was mm-hmm. maybe the doctor didn't realize that All of the projections were before the loan and taxes. So that's number one. Because the practice brokers put these really beautiful prospectuses together. I look at them all the time. And it tells you what the income would be. But I think if a CPA or myself doesn't explain it, which is why I love the work that Brian Hanks and I do in this market, is because we try to really show the doc how much money they're actually going to make And I went through a valuation program. Like I'm technically trained on valuation. And when you look at valuation, you're adding things back like dues and subscriptions and insurance, medical insurance, and um, anything that would benefit the owner that's considered an expense. I'm really getting deep here, guys. Sorry. But like these expenses, you're adding those back as a benefit but the reality is, is that's not actually real money. You're going to have dues and subscriptions. You're going to have insurance. So uh, evaluators or, or practice brokers put it in terms of like technical valuation of what EBITDA is or true profit is. The, real, the reality is, is you want to have like that real conversation with your financial advisor, someone like me or a CPA and saying, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The IRS has all these tricks and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. What am I actually going to make, right? And there is a difference. There's a difference. And then you got to factor in the loan. And then you have to factor in, of course, your taxes. And you got to make sure that it all makes sense. And that's why, remember, I said that third option is not a good one. Mm -hmm. Because on paper, it might say you're making 150. But after the loan and after the taxes, and after you add, put the dues and subscriptions back in, you're making like $60,000 and you could have did way better as an associate. So you do really got to look at the numbers at a Uncle Sam level and you got to look at it in the real world level.
0: Yeah. So that's uh, yeah, something I didn't know. You know what I mean? Like where you're adding all that together. And it's kind of something hard to, because here's the thing, the seller wants to sell, right? They're like, let's just get, I just want to sell it. Like, let's just add. Mate, Let's just do, oh my gosh, Mike, I can't tell you. There was this one practice. I don't even know if I'll get in trouble, but like I've, I was working for a practice one time here in California who she wanted to sell so bad. She's like, just give me anybody and as many new patients as you can. Let's just, we were bringing in 80, uh, we are bringing in a ton. Did any of them stay? Probably like one or two, right? But on paper, it looked like, oh my gosh. And then she's like, let's just uh, look produce or like make it look like we're producing as much as possible for the next like two to three months so that's what they were looking at right like they're like look it's it's
1: ramping back up it's going hot i got something to say about that yeah anomalies are scary in acquisitions i mean you just pointed it out it's so obvious but i see it every single day where it's like producing or collecting a million collecting a million 1.5 million okay They're going to value it on 1.5 because it just did 1.5. Be careful. Anomalies do not make sense, folks. Like, they don't. Um, High new patient volume, high collections. Pay attention. Look at production reports on a year-over-a-year basis. Are they doing a lot more crowns all of a sudden? You have to look at the anomalies. Otherwise, you're, you're in trouble, bottom line. So...
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cause that happens. I mean, I remember when we did that, I was like, Hey, look, like, I can only do this. Why are we doing this? Cause I didn't even know why. Right. Um, And then I'm like, nobody's the people you want me to get. We don't even take their insurance. We don't even do this. Why are we doing it? Later on, I found out it was cause she was trying to sell right. So ramp up.
1: Yeah. yeah Shame I, on you, Michael.
0: <laughs> and if anybody wants to pay me a million to do it, I'll be, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but uh yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. So it makes me think, oh my gosh, if, if they do it, you know what I mean? Like people who we consider like, oh my God, they're so cool, right? Like anybody can be doing it. So I think it's really important to sit down when you find an acquisition. And I don't know, man, like, what do you think? Like, do your due diligence? What is even the due diligence that we're supposed to do? What happens? You know?
1: I, Michael, I, I honestly can't imagine someone doing it without a guy like me or a guy like Brian Hanks. Like, I, we're such a small piece of the whole pie. It's mm-hmm. like the best insurance policy ever. It's not that we know everything, but we have seen so much in our career that we can identify things. And um, I could never educate someone on a podcast on all the things, but like, to me, it's fit. I I always say, like, um, hiring great professionals to help you through an acquisition probably mitigates 40% of the risk. It's a good chunk. Mm -hmm. But the other 60% is the fit with you in that practice. Can you produce like that other doctor is? I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. I could mitigate all of these business things and point out anomalies. But if you can't replicate what they're doing, that's a big problem quickly. So, so, so that's number one, but number two um, uh, of the business and uh, just, just remember folks like consistency is the key, like year over year over year, you got to look back at least three years and, and the is with COVID, um, timestamp COVID, <laughs> uh, you know, to throw in the 2021, the 2020, not 2019 and 18. Now you almost have to go back to 18 to get really three year baseline because 2020 is almost thrown out. Yeah. So you go 18, 19 and 2021 are really your like core baselines, but 18 was four years ago. So it's not really like your linchpin of, of data, but it does give you a story. And I guess if you just don't feel comfortable understanding the story of the practice, you do need to get help. And I just couldn't imagine doing it without great professionals. I just going into it by by yourself is, I I don't know how someone would do that to be.
0: Yeah. That scares me. It's risky. Yeah. It's risky. Something you mentioned almost at the beginning of the episode where you said, um, what you did as a banker, you would kind of like be at the top, you know what I mean? You would look at it almost like at a, you weren't in the trenches, right? You were like more at a bird's eye view type of thing. Um, but now you, you kind of implement small changes that make big picture moves, right? Like it's, it's, it's making big moves. I got to ask you, what are some of the biggest small changes a practice can make today to improve? What would some
1: of those be? Yeah, so if we're staying inside this new ownership world, startups, mm-hmm. acquisitions, I would say systems, And I know that's super like cliche as well, but the business of dentistry um, is a world I said of like 15 minute increments, right? And so Mm -hmm. maximizing every opportunity, I'm not talking about being aggressive in sales. No, I'm just simply saying maximize opportunity. It's a business, dare I say, a business of widgets. I mean, fluoride you know, um, mm-hmm. re care, you know, k- uh, you know, x-rays protocols, all of these things add up to l- loose change. And the tighter things are the more successful you are. If we're in a world where you're dealing with a uh, hygien- hygienist wages getting is as big as they are, you have to offset that change in the business by talking about fluoride more often or or at least being more effective in, 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 in selling quote-unquote fluoride, right? Just tight, tight things up. If it's a startup, you only have 20 patients a month in the beginning, right? So knock those 20 out of the park with tight systems. Make sure 100% of those reschedule. Make sure you're doing everything right so that they accept the treatment. Follow up with the treatment if they walk out. So I'm not, listen, I'm talking about like a consultant now, but like little things is just like sweat over $15 misses. Yeah. I want you literally to sweat over the smallest miss. And doing huddles, frankly, help you help you keep an eye out for opportunity. Um, it's not reading the schedule. It's the team, getting the team to realize the importance of the $15 increments. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, this is a business of widgets. Like as a banker, I didn't see that. I just saw million dollar practice, supplies six percent, rent seven percent, labs five percent, six percent, profitability thirty-five to forty-five percent. Like those are really big like things. <laughs> but when I got into practice management, I realized like the tighter The tighter things are, scheduling systems, just um, maximizing every opportunity. That's the difference between someone that's really successful and someone that's just kind of making it. And that's easier to do as a startup, by the way, because you get to, that's a pro. Mm -hmm. Not a con, that's a pro. You get to set up the systems day one and set the expectation with your new employees. As an acquisition, that's a con. Walking in and saying, yo, we're at 75% recare pre Like we need let, let's start tracking this stuff. And a 50, 50 year old veteran office manager is like, gosh, they're a helicopter on me. Like they're, yeah. you know, That's like cool. yeah, the but, micromanager. Yeah. But yeah. you know, that there it is. That's the difference.
0: Okay, I like that. So then I know there's a lot of systems, and you said to have systems, but what's one like that maybe next level consultants teach? One that like you can just Gift to our listeners, where you're like, guys, do this system, follow it like this. Here's the instructions. You will see some improvement in whatever that is, right, within the next week.
1: So many systems in a dental office. Which one do I use for this podcast interview right now? (laughs) Like, uh, uh, I'm trying to let, let me say, let's okay, treatment presentation. I'm totally out of my depth, and this is probably more my partner's forte, but I'm going to give it a go. Paul mm-hmm. is my partner at Next Level. She's been in, in dentistry for over 30 some five years, whatever. She owns a practice at Phoenix. She's a hygienist. Okay. So we're big into treatment presentation. And, yeah. you know, as a startup and as an acquisition, it's super important that you communicate super effectively, right? And every opportunity matters. And so whether you saw very few patients today, or if you saw a lot, you need to nail the whole process of delivering treatment from start to finish, right? And mm-hmm. I would really get granular on that process. And the doctor and the team, they all, you all need to figure out what's most important to the patient. Because without understanding what's most important, you're not going to be able to tap into how they're going to make emotional decisions. I mean, our, our brains, our emotional Decision-making is way more powerful than the practical. That's why you talk, listen to Simon Simic and some of these great thought leaders about making decisions with your gut and it's find your why and delivering the why so people can buy into the why. So anyways, I'm going to get crazy here. So let's just bring it back to the small systems. But like, if you can train your team on asking great questions to patients, listening, and then... Delivering their treatment in their own words and their own importance. If you could just master that, you're going, you're going to win. Period. And backing each other up, the, the handoffs are key in that process as well. Because if one of your teammates is doing it, but not all of them are doing it, there's a miss there. You know, the front office person doesn't back you up in the back, or vice versa. The front office person gets it. And doctor's kind of a robot with how they do it. And you're relying on your front person to to sell it. Like that no, it doesn't work. The whole team really needs to gel in that delivery. That's the difference between a quick start and with an acquisition to maintaining patience. They they really in an acquisition they really feel like you care and you're that they're being listened to. So just that whole process and deep diving into the handoffs and just what that looks like and the visuals versus the audio audio messaging, right? So just that whole process, I think both sides could benefit from. Also, just again, following up with treatment and and hygiene. I mean, that's the other one is, okay, so you knock it out of the park with the delivery, but too many times practices don't follow up with treatment. And there's plenty of statistics about once they walk out, they're 50% less likely to come back in. And Mm -hmm. you're going to see them in six months on their next hygiene. So um, follow up with treatment, guys. I mean, it's really important to do that.
0: Yeah, man, I love those systems. I especially love how you said, like, you know, we really, for the treatment planning, have to ask questions. Guys, you can make a living off of asking great questions. And that's what we're doing here. It's about we're asking questions. For, <laughs> but you really want to ask really good questions, right? Listening and, and hearing the personality and And validating. So awesome. Mike, if I know you just started a new season, right? We're talking about acquisition. So you started a new season on the podcast,
1: right? Yeah. So it's called, we put dental in it, but it's dental acquisitions uncensored season two. So Google, Google that or Spotify that or whatever you use dental acquisitions uncensored. That's season two. Season one was startup uncensored. Three words. And obviously the first season was all about the startup from start to finish. And the season two, really excited about it because we're going to go through step one all the way through uh, of an acquisition, 20 some episodes. And it's very intentional. There's a lot of podcasts out there that do great interviews and array of lots of different things. But my vision for my podcast was very step for step. So that's what I love about it.
0: Yeah. Our listeners love step by step instructions, meat and potatoes. Like that's what I want. You know what I mean? That's what we all love. So I appreciate that, man. And Mike, if anybody has further questions or concerns or they want to reach out to you, they want to pick your brain more, anything like that, where can they find you? Just
1: call me. Literally. I'm going to get my cell phone. 720-309-9551. Call me. Go to my website. You could put it probably below. Click on that. Check that out. Um, We love what we do. I, I, I'm sure you could figure that out, Michael. You were on my show. Now I'm on your show. just love what we do. It's fun. And um, we're passionate about it. So that's however we can help or not help, but at least guiding in the right direction, whether we're a part of it or not. Awesome. So guys, that's all going to be in
0: the show notes below. Definitely check out the website, give text Mike at 3am in the morning, be like, Hey man, just wanted to see what's up. What are you doing? You know, uh, bug him with questions and uh, he'll love it. So Mike, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate the time. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. And guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. I want you to do uh, a couple things right before you log off. One, download that ebook. It's 10,000 patients. We put in so much work. We literally worked all last year on the book and uh, a couple of it this year. And it's out. It's ready for you guys to read. It's completely free. And it's only going to improve your practice and your marketing, especially if you need new patients ASAP, right? So go in the show notes below download that book second is go join the dental marketer society Facebook group it's a free Facebook group and in there we talk about uh, what we discuss on the episode we talk to the guests on the episode as well you get a much uh, you can dive deeper into these episodes right and maybe an episode you heard in the past you want to bring it up talk to the guests there on the Facebook group you can do so so go ahead join the dental marketer society Facebook group it's going to be in the show notes below as well and third um, if you can please we are almost at 100 reviews on iTunes. So I'm going to put a link. It's going to be probably the third link in the show notes below. I would love it if you gave us a rating, preferably five stars. But uh, let us know how we're doing on the podcast. and Or let us know how we're doing uh, when you leave a review. We, I would really appreciate that. Um, and guys, you know I appreciate you so much uh, just for listening to the podcast. So thank you for that. And that'll do it for this episode, so I'll talk to you guys in the next episode.